Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person find a life full of freedom and purpose through Jesus. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. And that is that life is structured to pull you away, to knock you off balance, to draw you away from the center. See, we said at the very beginning of this that those four dimensions of our life, the prayer life, upward, the work life, forward, right? The rest life, inward, and the relationship life, outward. Those four things are centered, they are rooted by one thing, the love of God. So what I'm trying to tell you is we have to develop this rhythm, this framework, like a vine that we can attach ourselves to, that keeps us rooted and centered so that we can grow upward and outward and produce. But what I'm also trying to tell you is, and you probably have felt this more times than you would like to admit, that life is structured to pull you off center, to pull you away. Life easily overwhelms us. Problems. What problems do you have in your life right now? I, I thought about giving a couple scenarios, but honestly, so many of our lives are different. We're in different phases, different seasons. We're walking through different things. But the reality is we all came in here with, with several problems that we're currently facing. And those problems, anytime you give them the light of day, do one thing. Pull your attention. It, it draws you in. It knocks you off balance. I remember... Going to the beach as a kid, like we went every weekend, and I, re- I was a pretty good swimmer, but I remember being out in the ocean the first time I really experienced a riptide, and I was pretty good about always checking, by, if I'm in the water, I'm always checking to find out where my parents are at. Let's just say Daniel and Blake are my parents. What's up, Mom? What's up, Dad? And they're my parents, and I'm like, Keen, I'm keeping track with them, and I, I just remember like getting taken under. And having to fight a lot harder than I should have been. Because I've been like, you know, diving into the waves and riding the waves back in, body surfing and all that. But all of a sudden, I'm having to like, and I'm like not moving. I'm like, because I'm trying to swim out of it. And I had like got roughed. I got taken under, salt water in my eyes. And I came up disoriented. And all of a sudden, like I couldn't, I didn't see my parents anywhere. I just had this like horrific feeling of, okay, uh, this is scary. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where my parents are at. And I, that was my first experience with a riptide. And I'll be honest with you, it was very similar to my first experience with pain, with my first experience with a broken heart, with my first experience with rejection, with my first experience with anxiety. I, I, I don't know, I'm disoriented. I don't know where I'm at. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm a lot further away than where I'm supposed to be. I've drifted. This issue, this problem, this fear, this anxiety, this rejection, it has pulled me away. It has overwhelmed me. And I find myself giving it over to the pressure. Right? And your pressure may be different than my pressure. The pressure that you feel at work, the pressure you feel at home, the pressure you feel in front of people. Anxiety, pain, fear has pulled you away. 
And I'm just telling you, that is the rhythm of this life we live. This world is broken. Yes, Christ redeemed us, but the world is still being redeemed. There's still territory. There are still parts of this life that is not under the authority of Christ yet. We live in a broken world. We do. Jesus died to, to save us and then work with us and partner with us to redeem the world. But I just need you to understand that John 10.10 10 is very true. There is an enemy that is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And that opposes the full life that Jesus invites and offers. This is the world. This is the setting. This is the scene that we live in. And what I'm trying to help us as a church develop in our life is a framework that holds us together as a church and it should define you as an individual believer because if you don't have this trellis to attach yourself to your life will draw you away it will pull your attention I remember the first time my phone updated and now all of a sudden the screen time app is on there and if you have an iPhone, you know what I'm talking about. It's part of one of the updates maybe a year or so ago. But now, like at the end of every week, I get an update, unprompted, that I didn't ask for, to show me how much I've been on my phone and how much time I've spent in particular apps. You want to talk about conviction, the first few times I got that, I'm like, I didn't ask for this, but I needed to hear it. And it's just a, a good glimpse into, you know, what has my attention what has pulled me off center? i got to be honest with you. Prayer is a lot like that. Reading our Bible is a lot like that. That's why a lot of people don't like it. I've gone through way too many moments in my life when every prayer begins with, hey, God, I'm really sorry that this is, I haven't talked to you in a long time. I've got journal entries with, like, weak gaps in between them, and every one of them start with, hey, God, I'm sorry. Hey, God, I've missed you. Hey, God, I know you've been waiting on me. Way too many that I care to admit. Why? Because every time I would pray, it'd be like looking at the screen time app and realizing all the things that I had chosen over him and all the things in my life that took precedent over him. And then I placed authority. I, I relinquished authority to those things. Reading my Bible, James calls it a mirror. It's like looking in a mirror. And seeing the true you. And so we like to use the excuse of, well, I don't really understand it. I don't really know how to read it. I don't really know how to study it. But really, a lot of the issue comes because it reveals the truth. But I got to be honest with you. This life, the goal of this life is not to live with your head in the clouds or, or buried in the sand. Like being, being a follower of Jesus isn't just about... Accepting Jesus for your salvation and then just holding on until, until heaven. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom, yes, but also my kingdom here on earth. The goal of this life is to be rooted and centered in the love of God and allowing that to take root in your life and transform every other part of your life. That's why it's the center. It's not first, it's the center because it's first in all things. Prayer, work, relationships, and rest. And so I want to look at the, one of the, just a quick glance at the story of Daniel, chapter 6. And 
At this point, Daniel is already pretty famous. He's trending. People know who he is. Um, and so that's kind of where we pick up the story. The ruler of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, was essentially, <laughs> this parallel so much, he's trying to pull the gaze of the Israelites off of God onto himself. That's what he's doing. He represents our life. When everything in our life is trying to pull our gaze and, and recapture and reclaim what belongs to God, this is the story that we step into. I'm going to read you the, a couple verses, starting with verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, and satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty uh, issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered. Make it a law in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius, not Nebuchadnezzar, put the decree in writing. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Well, because Jerusalem was in the very center, and it was also a place where the Jewish people would gather to worship. So he would turn to a visual, physical representation of where God would be. He, he turned towards Jerusalem, and then three times a day, he got on his knees and he prayed to Darius. No, he prayed... To God, in fact, he gave thanks to God, just as he had done before, in spite of the decree. Verse 11, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree and said, Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or a human being except you, Darius, your majesty, would then be thrown into the lion's den. And so if we have spent any time in uh, rescue kids or vacation Bible school or Sunday school growing up, you know this story. You've heard it a thousand times. You know that the men did this to conspire against Daniel, tricked the king who liked Daniel into making this a decree. From there, they went and got Daniel, threw him into the lion's den, but God showed up and rescued him. That's not what I want to focus on today. What I want to focus on is in verse 10. Because the book of Daniel is a great, and the, the, the entire book, but particularly this instance, this moment in Scripture, is so good, it's so encouraging because it shows us how we can be in a bad situation, how we can be in a hostile environment, yet remain grounded and rooted. See, the nation of Babylonia, which is modern-day Iraq, their goal in everything that they were doing they conquered Jerusalem, and then they led all of their leaders and people into exile and into these foreign countries. And they would, this is what they would do. They would take the teenage boys into their kingdom and put them through their education system and put them through how they would do things, their laws, their decrees, their rituals, and they would seek to brainwash and manipulate the future leaders 
of Israel so that when they came into power and authority, Israel would now be a Babylonian-occupied territory. And they would move and act and think like the people of Babylonia. In fact, it's the very same thing that terrorists do now. They kidnap the youngest, and they brainwash them into their value system. See, terrorists aren't a modern-day thing. There has been something trying to kill the movement of God from the very beginning. There is an enemy out to steal, kill, and destroy the move of God and the movement of God in your life. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. I don't think anyone's going to come in with an AK-47 in this moment. But spiritually, yeah, absolutely. 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 The things that you decree and you stand on and you proclaim and you worship with here today will be challenged the minute you walk out those doors, maybe even now. Because life is structured to pull you off center. And you can be out in the water having fun, thinking you got everything under control. You never see the riptide coming. You never see life coming. It just happens. Chris Hodges writes that Christians today face a dilemma. In a world that seems to reject everything we believe, how do we walk closely with God? without caving to pressure or alienating those that we hope to reach. I want to say it like this, that there is a current in the world that seeks to swift you away or sweep you away from God. There is a current in the world that seeks to sweep you away from God. Luke 22, Jesus is talking to Peter. His, one of his final few words to Peter is to look Peter in the eye and tell him, the enemy seeks to sift you like wheat. You ever been anyone making biscuits before? See anyone how, how they sift the flour? And, and in other words, and, and they wanted to take the wheat and they wanted to separate the essence, the real stuff, from the fake stuff. And what Jesus was trying to tell him, hey, Peter, Satan wants to prove that you're a fake and that you're phony. And he's going to trip you up and he's going to set landmines for you. And he's, he's coming, he's coming after you. And guess what he did? And Peter f fell. He was ruined. He denied his closest friend. In the moment that Jesus needed him most, Peter failed. And he denied Christ. Because there's an enemy. The, the, the current of the world wants to swift you, sweep you away. Why do I keep saying swift? Sweep you away. We know John 10, 10, I've already read it. The enemy seeks to seek, destroy, or kill. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to cast a, just a cloud of gloom. I'm just trying to maybe open our eyes to the world and the life that we live. This world wants to remove your roots. We come to church every Sunday, and we put a stake down in the ground. Like, like you know, when you put a stake in a tent, you, you don't want it to be moved by the wind. And every Sunday we come and we put a stake in the ground saying, I will not be moved. I will make a stand. I will live this life. I will be faithful. I will pray. I will read my Bible. And then the minute we walk out of here, that stake meets resistance in the form of life, in the form of bills, in the form of anxiety, in the form of people, in the form of our jobs tomorrow, in the form of the pressures of the life we live. I'm not even talking about the sin in our life, the temptation. The addiction, the depression, the anxiety, this life is structured to sweep us away 
We've got to have something that we can attach ourselves to, like the vine and the trellis. Not only so we can move upward and outward, but so that we can't be moved at all. We've got to attach ourselves to something. So here's a question that maybe we can just begin to ask today. How do I know when I'm off-center? I'm, I'm walking this life, and I keep checking my, yeah, my parents are still there. Daniel and Blake are still there. Okay, I, I'm good. I'm good. Next thing I know, I look back. Oh, I've been moved. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm off-center. I'm off-balance. How do you know when your life is off-balance? How do you know when you're off-center? How do you know when anxiety and depression have a little bit more control in your life than you would like to give them? How do you know when you're making decisions off of fear, not faith? How do you know when you're letting bitterness and pain dictate how you love and treat people? Those are questions we have to ask, questions we have to explore. And the thing that I love about Daniel is this is even though he was in a distant land, he wasn't home. He wasn't around people that he knew. He wasn't comfortable where he was at. He knew that God was present with him. He understood that to be in the grip of Darius was not out of, did not mean that he was out of the hand of God. He knew that God was with him. He knew that God protected him. He knew that God would sustain him. He knew that God was his trellis. Because in verse 10, it says this, that he got down on the knees to pray three times a day. But here's the phrase, here it is, just as he had done before. He didn't wait for the decree to come and then say, oh, now let me get this discipline in my life. He didn't wait for my marriage to fall apart and then say, oh, now let me do these. They didn't wait for life to happen. He was ready and disciplined and rooted so that when life happened, he just did what he had done before. Do you think that when David got the chance to go fight Goliath, that he was, this is what the story talks about. He was so confident to go and fight an unbeatable warrior, a a ruthless aggressor in the form of Goliath, that literally the entire army of Israel trembled before He was confident to go and do that because he was just doing what he had already done before. He had trusted God, and he stood before Goliath, and he stood before the nation of Israel, and he says, the same God that delivered me from the paw of the bear and the mouth of the lion will sustain me against you, giant, and the giant fell because David only had to do what he had already done before. And what I'm trying to encourage you here today is let's not race, let's not wait for the gun to go off to start the race because it's too late to train. Like if you go do a 5K today and you thought couch to 5K meant you literally get off the couch and you go run a 5K that day, you missed the point. You missed the training. You missed the discipline. You're going to die. Like you're probably going to be crawling across the finish line. It's not going to go good for you. Let's not wait for the race to start. What sustained Daniel, what kept Daniel rooted and grounded was his rhythm of prayer. His rhythm of allowing the love of God 
to be at the center of his life so that when the pressure started, he wouldn't be swept away. So that when he faced the currents and the riptides of life, they could not move him. What I'm trying to convey to you today is that our souls have to be tethered to something. What is your soul tethered to? In order for our souls to be tethered to Christ, John 15, to remain in Christ, we have to have a life marked by prayer. Daniel was tethered to a sufficient, unchanging, unmovable God, and his life was marked by prayer. When Jesus had to surrender his life, he went to the garden, and he knelt down beside a rock, and he reminded himself what he was tethered to, and he did it by prayer. Our souls have to be tethered to God. How does that happen? A life marked with prayer. We spent 21 days in August praying. This isn't a message about prayer and how to pray as much as it is understanding why it's really a non-negotiable for a believer. And there's many great ways to define it. I read this one earlier this week by a pastor by the name of Rich Villadas. And this is what he says about prayer. Prayer is an intentional rhythm of being with God in silence, in scripture, and self-reflection. So much of our prayer life is relegated to, hey God, I need. Hey God, would you? Hey God, could you? And there's nothing wrong with those prayers. Time and time again, God invites us to bring those prayers to him. But to, to be tethered, anchored, our prayer life really should look a lot more like sitting in silence. In scripture, in his word. And then the self-reflection part that we don't like, but is necessary. What am I seeing in the word that is contradictory in my own life? And how do I exchange that? How do I, how do I fix this? How do I correct this? So I want to invite Austin from out behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz, to come help me out with this real quick. Let's give it up for Austin Rye. Come on. Let's go downstairs. So if you will, uh, I'm going to ask Austin to take this rope. Give us a second. It's a long rope. All right, you can have all that swag if I need it. Austin is going to represent God. And before I, I kind of utilize this as an illustration, um, there is a, uh, a guy by the name of Parker Palmer. And he did a study on farmers in the Midwest. 
And it's something that they've been doing for 200 years. They still do today. Because at a moment's notice, when the blizzards roll up in the winter, I wonder if you've ever been in a blizzard. We don't really get those here in East North Carolina. Um, we like to think we do, but we don't. Life shuts down. But there, when the blizzards roll up, literally at a moment's notice, feet, like an absurd amount of snow falls per, per minute. And it's not just the amount of snow that falls, but it literally prohibits your vision. You can't, you can't even see in front of you. So that's not even talking about driving. You can't even walk when those blizzards roll up. And so the farmers in the Midwest, I mean, there's animals in their barns. They, you know, they've got to be fed. And if you get a snow like that, you're going to be snowed in for days, for weeks. You, as a farmer, it's your responsibility to take care of them. You've got to feed them. You've got to keep them warm, all those things. So they would prepare for these storms, because it wasn't a matter of if, but a matter of when, by tying a rope, if you'll just hold it tight for me, Beautiful. They would go and tie a rope from their house to the barn. So that if by chance they're out working, they're out in the field, they're out by the barn, and the blizzard rolls up, they don't get stuck and freeze to death. They can just use this rope to guide them back home. There's something that is, that is tethering them to where they're supposed to be. And I just want to suggest to you that that's what prayer is like. Prayer is this rope. We talk about a trellis a lot, but prayer is the rope that literally tethers us to God. But so many of us treat Jesus and church and prayer as a leash. And so now church is just, well, I can go this far, I just can't go any further than this. I can, I can do this over here. Oh, I can't. No, I can't. It's a leash. And we treat Jesus like a master, like an owner. And when, when, with that kind of relationship, you don't really want intimacy with that. You don't really want to be around that because you think he's trying to control you. You think he's trying to put a limit on your life. And so then instead of being a tether, all of a sudden it's a tug of war. And you're, no, God, I don't want to do this. I want to control it my way. Okay, God, I'll give you this control, much control. You got that much slack to work with, Jesus. On Sunday, but then over here on Monday, we want to control how we handle Monday and how we walk into the office and how we talk to our kids when we get home and how we treat our wife on Tuesday. We want to control that. And instead of realizing that this rope is tethering us to the center of everything that is good and healthy and love, we treat it like a leash. Instead of understanding that, no, 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 he's literally, if we're climbing a rock, He's literally saving my life because if I slip, he can support my weight and I can only fall but so far. Prayer is the rope. It is the thing, it is the structure, it is the framework that keeps us tethered to God. And so when life starts to get hard, I'm not tugging God. I'm realizing I just need to go back home. I need to go back to my source. Oh yeah, God is for me. He's not against me. He's with me. He is sufficient to meet all my needs. He does love me. He does know me. And now I'm back home. But instead, we think it's a leash, so we're spending all our time trying to break the leash. And then life happens. I don't know where I'm at. 
I'm blind. Can't see, you can't even see in front of me. I'm up to my waist in snow. I've got nothing to guide me back home. Our rhythm, thank you, Austin. Our rhythm of prayer is the rope that keeps us tethered to God. What does your rhythm look like? What does your rhythm look like? This rhythm of prayer has to hold us together as a church, and it must mark you, define you as an individual believer. So I want to share with you as the band comes back up what our rhythm of prayer looks like as a church. Because again, this is the framework that holds us together as a body, as a community. And the first one is we want to pray first. Matthew 6, seek first, strive for, aim at heaven and God's righteousness, his attitude. We want to pray first. Don't get this, don't see this and then miss what it's saying. I've talked about this a lot. I'm not talking about I wake up in the morning and I cross my prayer box and then I'm good. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm not talking about praying first one time a day. I'm talking about praying first in all things. So you get to work, you're good, you've had some good quiet time, you even listen to a worship song on the way in, no one cuts you off in traffic, you're not late for class, you got eight hours of sleep last night, you're good to go. You get in the room, you get at work, you get in the office, in the classroom, Woo! something pops off, teacher says something smart to you, phone call happens you didn't expect, something derails you because life is structured to pull us off center. Something throws you off balance. We have to learn how to pray first before we respond, before we allow that thing to overwhelm us and overtake us. The second thing is two annual 21 days of prayer and fasting. We finished our first one in August. Our launch team, even before we launched in January, did 21 days. We'll do another one this coming January. And this is all about setting some intentional time to make sure that tether is still attached. It's not a matter of if the storm comes, but a matter of when. I better make sure that from where I am to where home is, that there's something there to guide me back. Is this not a leash? It's a security line. It's a lifeline. The third and final thing is we want to Allow our lives to be marked by God's word. Which means that as I'm praying, as I'm spending time with God in silence, which means I'm not asking, I'm listening. I'm in scripture, I'm in his word. And I'm in self-reflection now. I'm, I'm asking, man, I see this in scripture, but I don't see it in my life. Or I see this in my, my life and I, I don't see it in scripture that it should be this way. How do I change? How do I place God's word over my life? That's what our rhythm is as a church. And I just want to show you what my rhythm is. And again, this isn't me saying this is what you should do. Showing you to give you some ideas. And this is just simply this. 
to pause two or three times a day in prayer because I don't trust myself to allow my morning time prayer to sustain me. In fact, there are mornings that I don't get my morning time prayer in. What then? So two or three times a day, it's taking a second. It's not always after a, a stressful email or stuff, I, uh, a to-do list that, you know, fills the whole page. Sometimes it's just, hey, I'm driving from my house to my meeting. I'm just going to spend a few minutes in prayer. Sometimes it's for the meeting. Sometimes it's not. Two or three times a day, that's me. Every day, 10 minutes of silence. Because if you're like me, you're either constantly talking or you're having something constantly said to you or you're reading. Like, we're constantly, like, consuming, consuming, consuming. So spend just a few minutes, no radio, no music, just the stillness of God. If I can be outside when that happens, even better. The third thing is I journal often. I journal often. Because I want to remember what I asked for, and I want to trace God's work through my life. Fourth and final thing is to read through the Psalms at least once every year. If you don't know how to pray, if you legitly are like, hey, Josh, I just don't even know how to pray, Psalms will teach you how to pray. It's a collection of books and it's a collection of songs and prayers that go from the mountaintop to the valley, from God is my healer and sustainer to where are you, God? Why have you left me? It will meet you where you are and it will teach you how to pray. I'm not telling you that this is what you should do. I'm just telling you this is my tether. This is my tether. I'm not telling you how to tether yourself to God. I'm just telling you you have to get a tether. E.M. Bounds, an attorney and Methodist preacher in the late 1800s, said this about prayer. When faith ceases to pray, it ceases to live. Faith ceases to pray, it ceases to live. Here at Rescue Church, we believe every single person in this room has a step to take today. For some of you, that's a step towards Jesus. He's not Lord of your life. He's not Savior of your life. And today, your first step towards him is to take him from a character on a page into the real person. And because of his work on the cross and because of his defeat over the grave and his ascension into heaven, you and me both can exchange our sin and our shame for love and for grace and for life. And that's available to every person in this room. But there's also another step. And this is what I want you to take home today and mull over, talk about it with your friends, your spouse. Again, I'm not trying to tell you how you should tether yourself. But here's the question I want you to take home. What do you need to keep you tethered? What rhythm in your life, what, what rope in your life do you need to keep you tethered? So God, we lift up you today. And Jesus, we glorify your name. And today, God, we accept you as both Savior and Sustainer. God, I pray that in our life, 
when situations come, when storms arise, when pressures mount up like a wave building and building, and when that wave crashes onto us, that we would remain constant in you, that we would not be moved. And even in the, the, the going through the storm and the things that the storm brings, that we would have something that anchors us to you, that we could find ourselves back to you through prayer. Thank you for listening. Join us each week here on the pod or live in Durham. Keep up with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Rescue Church NC.